Anna and Shauna, thank you so much. Peter T., our worship director, you may be seated. Uh, Peter T., our worship director, is getting ready to have a baby, and so they filled in. Yeah, so pray for him, and wow, you guys are always such a lifesaver for us. What beautiful worship. Um, Before we get to our sermon this morning, I do want to spend just a moment in intentional prayer. As you saw, this is uh, VBS Sunday, and right where you're at this whole week was some really powerful ministry to our children and to children that aren't a part of our church, that came to the church. And so one of the things that I want to do is just pray for parents and for children, And to help me to do that, I just want to show you a a, a slide. I think we have it. Do we have it this time? It is a graph that tells us, okay, this one's going to be hard for you to see. But this is a graph of a poll of young people that are still following the Lord. And the question that was asked was, who is the most important mentor in your life that helped you to keep your faith and develop your faith as a young person into adulthood. Now, you might ask yourself in your brain, who do you think would win what almost immediately becomes a competition in my brain, right? (laughs) Who is the most impactful person in a young person's life, in their faith, in in their spirituality? Of course, the winner, mom. Give it up for moms. And I just want to say dads are second. Step it up, dads. Okay? So I want to take that as a challenge. I take that as a challenge. I'm going to step it up. Okay? And then from there, we see grandparents are third on the list. So give it up for grandparents. Absolutely. And then, you know, of course we understand that Uh, There's many different histories in this room, and so some people weren't blessed to have a a Christian household growing up, and so there are mentors, the family of God, people that stepped in, and so those are also on this graph that plays such an essential role in the life of faith for young people. And one of the things I love about our church and uh, this tradition this covenantal tradition of being a Presbyterian is that we commit, we commit to be a village. We covenant together to raise our young people in the way of faith. And we know that parents, even though they're the direct spiritual influence in their children's lives, don't we need help? We need a whole lot of help. And so if we have a village if we have a village to pour into our young people, that is how we are going to sustain all of life's tests, all of the challenges that these wonderful young people bring to us and to help them to grow in their faith. I want to share to you uh, just one verse from the book of Malachi as we go into prayer. This is a verse where Malachi is speaking of the prophet Elisha. And he's saying that he will come again. This is actually a prediction of when Jesus comes again. And he says, this is what will happen when Jesus comes again. He says, he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. 
And this is a great prayer for us to pray in this season in the life of our church. As we think about our precious young people, we pray that they would come to love their parents, their spiritual parents, their mentors, and that also that we would return our hearts back to our children to love them the best that we possibly can. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we just pray for your help, your helping hand, Lord, that can meet us wherever we're at, whatever uh, relationship we have with our family, Lord that you are there to teach, to guide, to give wisdom, to give power, to give forgiveness, to give healing. And we pray that you would teach us because, Lord, you are connected to the good Father, Jesus. And only you know the true way to be the parent that we all need to be for our children, to give them what they need. And so we go to you, we look to you for guidance and wisdom and hope that we can pass on to our children and that they would also come to know you, come to love you, and come to grow into the flourishing life that you have created them to live. We pray all these things in your precious and holy name, Lord Jesus. And now um, let us pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen, amen. Okay, now we're going to turn our attention to the scripture this morning. It will be on the screens or in your pew Bible or if you brought a Bible or whatever, however you want to interact with the Bible this morning. We are going through the book of 1 John and we are in chapter 4. I have been just stunned by the wealth of magnificent preaching that... uh, we have at this church as we have been going through this text. And Dave's sermon last week just inspired me and informed me and taught me things about this book. And, and so I hope that you're also enjoying uh, this series as we just go through a book of the Bible and see what God would have for us in it. We're going to be in chapter 4. I'm going to do six verses today. So hear these words from 1 John. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. 
They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now let me just ask you, is this beginning verse about testing the spirits strike you as something that could possibly be useful in your walk spiritually in this time and season that we find ourselves in. Do you notice that there are any competing voices out there looking for our attention, trying to give their point of view or perspective? Anybody out there? can relate to this. Is a Bible relevant to anybody? Okay, I see some hands out there. Okay, good. Good to know that as times change, as seasons change, right? And, and man, are we living in a season right now where we are being asked to discern. We are being asked to think about how God would help us to make critical decisions in our life and faith. I can think over the last year as a pastor, and I know whoever you are and whatever job you got or whatever journey you're on, that the amount of discernment that went into the last year probably tripled or quadrupled the need in my heart to understand how do I discern and know how to make good decisions for my family? How do I make good decisions for my church? How do I love people in the midst of such a challenging season where there are so much information coming from so many different vantage points? And how do I do that with genuine Christian love? This is the question that is being asked in John. How do we live one wild and precious life? The one wild and precious life, like Mary Oliver said, that God has given us. How do we do that to the best of our ability? Man, that felt like an easy question before a global pandemic, and now, it feels like an extremely challenging question to ask. But we've seen through going through the scriptures in 1 John that it wasn't easy for those first Christians. In fact, there were many tests. And we've seen in this book that there is actually a great fracturing that has gone on within the church. Have you ever noticed that there are competing voices and sometimes those voices unfortunately find their way into the church? This is a direct message from a pastor's heart to a congregation that he profoundly loves and wants to live in the love, he wants them to live into the self-sacrificial love that God would have for them. And so he doesn't give advice, he gives a command. He says, test every 
Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we test? And, and maybe also you're in test fatigue, right? <laughs> you're also in test fatigue. Anybody have one of those things stuck up their nose uh, as you got tested? So many different kinds of tests have been thrown at us. But I want to say that this type of test is one that I think we could all get behind. Like if we had one of the, you know those guns that they, they shoot you and so they take your temperature, right? Maybe we could have one of these. Maybe uh, John would uh, invented one of these if he could in his time where we could just put one of these, uh, one of these things up to our head, you know, the temperature taker, and it would just say, loving Christian. <laughs> loving Christian. And we could just zap people before they come in. Loving Christian. Okay, good. You passed the test. And in a way, it is that simple. In a way, even when we're right, if we're not loving, we're still missing the point. And that's what John is trying to lead this church into understanding. Because it's when we get right and we get black and white that we start to see fractures. But if we can make this decision together, this decision that we are going to be humble in our discernment of what is right, and put love, which covers a multitude of sins, above all else for the church, then it's possible. You see, this is a pastor saying to everyday normal Christians who have gone through tough times that it is possible to discern what God wants. And he's trying to give them a courage, a confidence to know when something is of God and when something is not. After the last week of ministry, one thing that I can confidently say is that our children have so much to teach us about God. And this week, our theme was, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder is a positive reframing of thinking about how we discern what, who God is, what he is about. And as I started the week, I got to be the great supervisor role. Everybody else did all of the beautiful ministry and hard work. And then I got to come in at the beginning and the end. It was beautiful. <laughs> But one of the things that I wanted to send in my little time to our little ones, this, this one message essentially, which is God made this big, expansive world. And then he said, get curious. Get curious. He gave our little ones such brilliant curiosity and I don't know about you, but as a parent, as my children ask me questions, I feel the weight of that responsibility. 
because I know that I'm setting a framework for them. I'm giving them a foundation. I'm constructing how they're going to think about the world. I get the first crack at that. And I am testing the spirits as they ask me questions, and I'm asking God because even though they think that I have all the answers, like the other day, I totally exploded my three-year-old girl's brain because she was trying to get the top off of an apple. She was just pulling it, and I just took it. I said, honey, give it to me, and I just twisted it and got it right off. And my son was like, that's my dad. That's all you need to do, right? They're looking to us. They're looking to us. And so by the way we conduct ourselves, the way that we shape the world and build that foundation, and the way that we hold that foundation will be so critical. Just want to show you a, a simple uh, three words that I think may be a little bit helpful in this way. So the first one is uh, creation, right? Now, when you become a Christian, whether you're a little kid growing up in a Christian household, or you come to faith and as an adult, that there is that formative stage, that construction stage, this creation stage. And you've met people like this, right? They're just curious, they wanna know how God works, and they're reading the Bible and they're just pouring over it, building this foundation. And for a time and season, this is so beautiful to watch and be, but we know as parents, right? And we know because we grew up and we had parents that there comes a season where the Bible says it, that ends it, this ends the conversation, we're moving forward, it's not enough. In this law, black and white way of communicating. This is the first stage that we find developmentally in our Christian walk, a very important and valuable stage for each of us to have. We set the foundation. In the Old Testament, there was a time where there was chaos and wilderness, and then God gave the law, and the law was life because the law provided the guide rails for what it meant to organize and be a people of God. And that took a people that were in chaos and gave them structure. It was so important, you know, people don't like the law because they say that, you know, how could we possibly be all of these rules and regulations, but have you ever been in a place where it's chaos? There's nothing better than a little order and structure to come in and to give freedom through the law. But over time, we see in Scripture that this law was heaped on top of law, on top of law. And the Pharisees became the carriers of the law. And they saw things in black and white, and they regulated everything over and above with the original law that was given. And so the prophet comes in and starts to question, okay, these laws that you're making, what is the spirit behind them? What is the reason for this law? And so we can describe that as deconstruction. 
right? To take something that is a truth or a belief and to question it, to ask whether it actually works in the real world with real people. And what often happens is as we go through our faith, we have that initial foundation that's laid, but then we get tested. We go through pain, we go through difficulty. The world isn't as black and white as we might have thought it would be. We see shades of gray. We see all the different variants and colors that are out there. And so we go through a season of wilderness. Now, I would say that our culture is pretty comfortable in this deconstruction. Because what can happen is if we don't keep going, if we don't keep moving, if we don't cling to the hem of Jesus' garment, even in the midst of our difficult dark nights, even in the midst of our dark night of the soul, St. John of the Cross said, what happens is that the spirit of complaint, the spirit of doubt, can take over. And then we get comfortable in our critique. It's so much easier to criticize. It's so much easier to get comfortable in this wilderness. But also I want to say that if we're a parent and we're watching our kids ask questions, this is a phase. And we need to allow for anything to be tested. If we genuinely have faith that God is real and that he made the world and that through investigation what will ultimately be found is that he created the world with meaning and order and purpose in each and every one of us, then guess what? We don't have to be threatened. We can trust God with our kiddos. We can let them go through these seasons, these important seasons, because what happens is our kids or anybody going through this journey is making their faith their own. They're growing up into maturity. And so we have to make this space for them. Allow for them to go through these seasons and maybe you've been through a season like this. Maybe you're in this season now. And what I want you to think about is this third space, this third space of reconstruction. In the Bible, this is Jesus Christ, the one who puts all of the law and the prophets together in one living person. And he says, I know You have your questions. I know you have your doubts. But what are you going to do with all those doubts? You can't live life on doubt. Doubt can be paralyzing and crippling if that's all that you have. And might you, if you keep going, discover there is a third act this reconstructed act. Have you ever met somebody who's gone through all three stages of this? There are people here that have gone through all stages of this. They call it like a second naivete. That means that they become naive again in this most beautiful way. Because they can hold the truth and know that it's been tested throughout their life 
and that it works and that it's worth sharing, but they can also encounter people that are struggling on this journey in the first two acts of Christian maturity, and they can say, I remember, I know what it's like. I can have compassion. Let me help you. Let me show you through this journey. Let me take you along. Can I show you the next step along the way? Because there are these voices out there that are hoping to derail at any time. I want to say again, one of the biggest ones that's out there for us right now has something to do with consumerism. And maybe one of the ways you've heard this talked about is how Christian makes a great noun, but a pretty bad adjective. Meaning that when I say I'm a Christian, what I'm talking about, what John thinks we're talking about is Christian love and sacrifice for neighbor, right? And I'm standing for this, as Dave said last week, the prototype of Jesus Christ, this way of Jesus is the way that I'm walking, however imperfectly, this is what it means to be a Christian, to know the person of Jesus and all that he has done for us. But the adjective comes in, right, and takes an agenda, takes some tape and a sign that says Jesus and just kind of puts it on there. And things like Christian water or Christian designer jeans become really confusing because now we've taken something we're selling, we, we make Jesus into a brand, we make Jesus into an agenda, and we try and tape Jesus onto all these things. And one of the big concerns there is that these things become subpar because they're trying to tap into a market. And they're trying to sell us on a tribe but true connection to Jesus, if you know this Jesus, you know that it doesn't make the world smaller or tribal, but actually seeks to expand who we are, to show us how great and cosmic and wonderful Jesus is and not to make us narrow and small. This is the gateway into all truth that we hold with humility. And so as people go through this journey, it's easy to get derailed and frustrated by so many disappointments within the church. And so that's why, if you know what the scripture says here about how we test the spirits, is just simply John saying, if you affirm that Jesus came in the flesh, if you can affirm that Jesus came into the flesh, then you are of God. Can I show you a picture of my kids? I was thinking about this. You know how people torture people like at the grocery store with pictures of their kids? Pastors just get to do that to a whole congregation of people. So it's the best for me. <laughs> but when I think about the incarnation, when I think about what it means for Jesus to come, I think about this messy world and how easy it would have been for him to 
stay up in heaven where things are perfect. And it reminded me of this picture. This is uh, my daughter, Glory, her cousin, Leah, and our next-door neighbor, Gigi. And they were with us this week, and they were playing in our front yard, and there was a slip-and-slide outside of frame. But almost immediately as this pool in our front yard garden started to be made and this mud pit was developed, guess how long they stayed at the slip and slide? Very short amount of time. And so the two cousins just made it over to the mud pit and started taking mud and just dropping it on each other, right? Making each other as messy as they possibly could and laughing as hard as they could possibly laugh as they just made each other intensely messy. And all I could think was, that looks like my nightmare right now, but for them, this is a gift. Could you imagine, as a parent, if I would have stepped in and stopped them and said, hey, I don't want to have to do laundry. This is going to be a, a long project for me, guys. Can we do something more clean and more civil? Would we have robbed them of being a child to learn for themselves? to grow and to be messy and to realize that everything learned is messy. And I'm so thankful that we have a God who understands our mess, that Jesus Christ knows what it's like to be in the mess, to help us in the midst of our mess and our distress. And knowing that should make us walk with humility. Because the idea of Jesus we can argue about, but the person of Jesus changes things. The person of Jesus, when you know the person of Jesus and that he got in the mess for you, it changes things. He did that for me and it changed me. Okay, one last illustration from my little sermon illustrations, another picture. This is my son, we got to go to Disneyland last week. And uh, Disneyland's not my place, but it's my wife's place. She loves it so much. But we were searching for the shortest line at the end of a hot day. And we went to one of the old school rides. You've been on it probably, you know. This is Autotopia. This one for me still has a little magic left. <laughs> because a six-year-old behind the wheel gets everybody's heart pumping a little bit. And it is the only place on earth where a six-year-old gets behind the wheel. But as we get in the car, I was thinking I'd let him do everything, the gas, and drive the wheel, but it was like, took too much to, for him. He couldn't really reach the pedal. And so I made a deal with him. I'm not touching the wheel. I'm just gonna hit the gas, and you drive the car. And the magic of Autotopia, right, is that there is this guide, this, this guide that will keep us from all harm. And we're on this track, 
and I'm just hitting the gas, and he is just swerving this thing right into the track again and again, and we're just laughing as we crash over and over, and somehow we're making it down the road together. This is what is promised to us about discernment in life with Jesus, is that he hands us this wheel, and he says, here is the track. If you commit yourself to this way, then I'll keep hitting the gas. And you can crash. You will crash. No doubt about it. But if you stay on this track in this way, I will never stop hitting the gas. I don't know where you are at this morning, but my prayer is that wherever you're at on your journey, you know you have a God who wants to hit the gas for you and show you how to go down the road of life in the best possible way that you can to navigate every hard decision with a loving God who cares and provides and knows you and knows what you need. So let us pray and receive the fuel of our Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, for the way in which it guides and instructs us, for the way that you uh, inform us about how to live. I pray for abundant grace to penetrate every last part of us, Lord, that hasn't made its way in that we will never be more loved than we are right now because of who you are, because you died on the cross for our sins and you rose again to give us new life. So we come to receive this truth and know that it is the way. It is the way to eternal life, here and now and in the future. We pray your kingdom come in every family and every household. We pray for your kingdom come to minister, minister to us now as we worship you. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.